With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's happening, everyone? Welcome into a new episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my friend Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I was looking at my Skype when I booted it up, and there was a yellow dot next to your name, and it said Patrick Mayhorn, last seen days ago. And I don't know how anything else works, but when I see something where it was like, so-and-so was last seen days ago, that's not good, but here you are talking to me, so I know you're safe (laughs) and sound, and that makes me feel good. I am safe and sound. I have uh, recently purchased tickets to go see uh, Appalachian State and Georgia Southern play a football game on Halloween night. Uh, so I'm doing great. I'm I'm feeling very very good. <laughs> where where powerful. is that game? Uh, that is in Boone, North Carolina, at Appalachian State. Uh, speaking of last seen days ago, I will be praying for your safety getting up to Boone, North Carolina. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are. Here on the Hangout in the Holy Land, and as you probably could have already guessed, there's not a lot going on. It is early April. We're in the first week of April, right before the spring game. We'll have a spring game preview for you guys next week, but we wanted to put out an episode this week of just musing and probably, to be quite honest with you, a lot of bullshit on this episode, just me and Patrick riffing. There isn't a ton happening in Ohio State athletics, but there's a little bit of news here and there starting with the basketball team. It looks like Ohio State is going to have to get another assistant, Patrick. Yeah, that's right. Um, As of today recording, they have not yet hired a replacement for um, becoming kind of a long-time Chris Holtman assistant, Mike Schrage, who has accepted the position of head coach at Elon in North Carolina. Um, I, I, the thing that I saw was that the likely replacement is already in the program with Mike Nettie, who is kind of Chris Holtman's right-hand man currently. He was a, an, an actual like on-court assistant with Holtman at Gardner-Webb, but has been, I don't know if relegated is the right word, because I do think he's a good coach and capable of the job, but has been kind of moved towards a, a more non-coaching focusing on you know kind of like the the marked pantone of basketball essentially where he he directs recruiting stuff he directs day-to-day operations he goes takes to country care music of, concerts yeah goes to country music concerts takes care of uh film stuff he he seems to be kind of the do-it-all guy and that was the the name that i saw floated at least a little bit as the likely obvious replacement um i i think that would be probably fine at this point i think that um we probably have um less strong takes on the ohio state basketball staff than we do the ohio state football staff um one because basketball assistant coaches are a little bit harder to determine you know are they any good or what exactly do they do because it's not as defined a job 
as uh, football assistants. But so far, it seems like all of Holtman's hires have paid off pretty well. And I imagine that this next one will also be pretty good. I'm, I'm willing to trust him at this point. Yeah, and I can't speak at all about, like you said, what any of these guys bring to the table. It's just so much harder to discern and break down what they do as opposed to football coaches. But the, the one thing to take away is, okay, we're at this really first full off season after a couple of years of Chris Holtman and a sign of progress, I would say, is seeing other guys get hired for jobs. So you see him go to Elon, take the head coaching job. As we progress along the Chris Holtman era, if Ohio State keeps taking steps forward and they keep playing better, keep going deeper in the tournament, just having more success in general, you'll see a lot more of that. So I think that's kind of one of the barometers to success that I look at is, okay, how many other schools around the country are taking notice of what you're doing and who you're bringing on your staff, who you have an eye for, and are they plucking those guys? So it may not seem like a big deal that a school like Elon is able to take somebody from the staff and, and bring them on as their head coach. But once you once we start getting, I think, a couple years deeper into this and maybe once that first Power 5 program takes one of one of his guys, then we'll be able to really talk about that. But I think that at least for right now, that that's a nice little sign that, okay, people are, are starting to take note of what Chris Holtman does and what his assistants do. And I think we'll only continue to see that grow. Yeah. And speaking of the basketball program, there was a little bit more news with them this week. News that hasn't necessarily actually happened yet, but has been discussed a little bit online. I wrote a, a kind of column thing about it earlier this week. Um, <clears throat> Ohio State is back onto the the grad transfer market as they have been for each of the first two Chris Holtman years but instead of looking for a guard this time they're looking for a big man and it seems that they have found uh kind of a familiar face in uh, Alabama center and also former Ohio State center Daniel Giddens who visited Columbus earlier this week I think it was um seems to be kind of option number one for the Buckeyes on the grad transfer market. Um, I wrote about why it, it actually kind of makes sense when you get past the you know, the name Daniel Giddens and the history that he kind of has with Ohio State because um, he is a pretty capable shot blocker. He is a guy who can bring energy off the bench and would be willing, I think, to back up Caleb Wesson and just play you know, 15, 10 minutes a game, play pretty sparingly instead of needing a starting job. Um and he, he is a guy who I think would bring something that this team kind of needs for, for 2019 and 2020. And I imagine if he is going to be joining the team, we'll, we'll know that sooner rather than later. Listen, I've gotten back with my ex before, and let me tell you, <laughs> it's, it, it never works out. But no, seriously, this is a team that needs depth Unless right your now. ex is a 6'11 shot blocker. <laughs> yes, if, you're sick, if your ex can clog the paint, block shots, and provide some depth, then you get back together. Yep. <laughs> and honestly, that that's what they need. They they need depth. They need somebody with that type of skill set. And that, that's not to say that Daniel Giddens, if if he comes back, is just gonna be, you know, mean mean the world to Ohio State and completely change the way they play and, and take him to the next level. I think far from it, but he has a, a set of skills that I think can be very useful for this particular team. And quite honestly, they, they're still at the point where they just need bodies. And to have another big around that 
one, already knows everything kind of off the floor, just about living in Columbus, being around. You don't have to really ingratiate him that way. Guys know who he is, and I, that's stuff we don't really talk about, but I think that can mean a lot. There isn't that transition period there. I think you can just kind of plug and play him in, and so if he does come back, I think that that's, that's a solid addition, and it provides you a little bit more depth. Yeah, and the, the other thing here is that you know Giddens left Ohio State when there was a different staff here, a very different situation and i think that there were some not necessarily cultural issues with the way that thad model wanted to do things and the way that daniel giddens wanted to do to do things i think it was more just that the rest of his class left and he didn't necessarily think that the program was headed in a great direction um i do think that he has matured since then just in seeing him talk and you know in the fact that he's now like 22 instead of when he was you know 18 when he was at ohio state um and I, I think that the concerns about him, you know, adding a a character to the the locker room that they don't necessarily need, I think that that's overblown. I, I think that he's a he's a guy who would be willing to contribute to the team however they need him to. If he comes to Ohio State, he will have been vetted by the staff to make sure that he is a fit with this roster, to make sure that he gets along with the other guys on the team. They're not going to take somebody that would tank their their locker room chemistry. They you know this this staff is not stupid. <laughs> they they wouldn't take someone purely based on, you know, need if he doesn't fit the roster. And it's not like, you know, Daniel Giddens is a star by any means. It's not like you're going to go out and this is your your star player now. He's a I, I think he could be a solid contributor to the roster. And I think that that's what Ohio State is mostly looking at him for. And I, I think I'm fine with that. Yeah, still looking for depth on the roster. And that's probably the biggest storyline, you know, other than new recruiting class coming in is just how are they going to be able to fill out the rest of those needs how are they going to be able to fill up depth so that's something that we'll be watching all off season that pretty much wraps up basketball though right there's there's nothing yeah. else going on yeah spring practice is going on for football right now to make a little bit of a awkward or not it's a very good transition but yeah it's not a very good transition but shift to it spring practice is is going on right now we've gotten little nuggets and and updates here and there Ohio State practice today and we got some there was some media availability I think and and got a few extra nuggets out of that has anything stood out to you so far about what you've heard from Ohio State spring practice um I did see several of the several of the little nuggets were pretty interesting to me I think that the one that really stands out to me as being um, kind of a sign that this staff is a little bit more aware of what modern football looks like than the you know maybe the previous staff was um, was the mention of two tight end sets and uh, kind of using not necessarily under center packages but using two tight ends in a spread offense and how that can apply to kind of an air raid and it actually um, it tied in nicely with a piece I read this morning from uh, SB Nation's Ian Boyd who wrote for uh, I think football study hall about the kind of rise of the 21 package I, I believe he calls it which is essentially what Oklahoma has been doing for several years now with guys like Mark Andrews and uh, Dimitri Flowers where they have kind of a 
a receiving centric tight end who essentially plays slot and they use his size to to create mismatches in RPO and then they have a guy who would be more traditionally a, a blocking tight end or even like a fullback like Flowers and he's used essentially as a hybrid player who can add extra blocking into the backfield and again create mismatches create a you know an extra number in the you know on the line for when you want to actually hand it off on the RPOs and they've done that with a ton of success and that's what pretty much every elite college football offense has started to do is implement that into their system where they have these kind of freak receiving tight ends and then they have the more traditional blocking tight ends that can play a bit more of a fullback role um, and it's it's a really neat kind of molding of old and new styles of football and the way that football is thought of. And I think that, you know, Ryan Day, who is very, very much up on what modern football offense looks like and what kind of the future of football offense looks like, um, I think it's encouraging for him to say something like that, especially when you see the kind of personnel that Ohio State has on this roster where, um, you know, someone like Jeremy Ruckert, sure could fit that mold of kind of a receiving tight end that plays almost a slot receiver type role. And then you see someone like, you know, even like freshman tight end Quamonte Hamilton, who kind of a weird body. Um, If I remember right, he's like 6'1", 260 coming into college. Um, kind Kind of a strange player just in general. But a guy who blocks really well, who has athleticism that you know he has more athleticism than you'd expect from his frame and a guy who i think could play that dimitri flowers type role that we saw you know oklahoma kill ohio state with in 2017 um and i think that that was something that really really got me excited about what this offense might look like is that he's kind of aware of of that new style of of spread offense jeremy ruckert that's that's my guy yeah this season I he's think good if I, if I have to pick one to breakout that hasn't really done anything he's the one i'm picking you know you look around the nfl and you just see these badass tight ends that are too fast for linebackers and are too big and physical for defensive backs and they just wreck havoc and if they're doing that against grown men and that play on nfl defenses what do you think that they can do against college defenses? And that's something, like you said, that has like not even been lacking for Ohio State's offense. It's just been non-existent. We, we've seen it at times. We saw Marcus Baugh at certain times, but it never really was a staple. They never really went out of their way to get a tight end involved. And I, I think that that's going to change, maybe not right away with this team, but as we move through the Ryan Day era, I think that's going to be an emphasis, and you're going to see that in recruiting with some of the guys they bring in, not only with players like Ruckert, but like you said, other tight ends as well that are a little bit more of your traditional blocking types, and you'll see both those tight ends on the field at the same time, and you'll really see Ohio State vary up their personnel more than they have in previous years, and that that's something that I'm super excited to watch for during the spring game and in the 2019 season, but that's a weapon that just hasn't been utilized in Ohio State's offense. And I don't necessarily think it's because it's been be- that they don't have anybody. They they obviously do, especially on this roster. They have guys 
like I said, Ruckert is the one that I think most people are looking out for. And I don't think that this is lip service this time. I really think that this is a direction that Ohio State's offense is going to go in. Speaking of positions with a lot of talent that kind of underachieved in years past, uh, Ryan Day almost also commented on the middle linebacker spot. Um, he mentioned that there is still at this point a competition between Tough Borland, Baron Browning, and Tarada Mitchell. Uh, he said that he expects that will continue into August, or, or he says preseason camp. But um, also mentioned that Tough Borland has been sidelined recently with a knee injury, and that Baron Browning has been taking first team reps at least today. Um, I think as people who listen to this podcast or read literally anything we write know, um, I have I have takes on this. <laughs> I have I have takes on this as a as a thing that he said, as a concept, uh, you know, just as a whole, um, this is another leg injury for tough Borland. I, I don't know the specifics exactly of this one. We, it doesn't, I don't remember any big report about this, which makes me think it's pretty minor, but tough Borland kind of has a history now of these leg injuries. It was, it was what an Achilles injury, uh, last spring that very, very obviously impacted his play on the field. I, I think that, the both physical and mental he has been really struggling with a decreased amount of speed than what he was used to in high school uh because of that achilles injury now you're adding on another leg injury and i think it's more minor but it is still another leg injury to a guy who was already struggling a bit with speed um and i think that on that front you know you see more and more injuries for a guy who was not good in 2018 and, and you know i i don't like to I, I, I certainly wouldn't wish this on anyone. Uh, I don't like to to pontificate on it. But, like, is Tough Portland going to play at Ohio State again? Because, I mean, you keep getting leg injuries like this at a position where you have to run a lot and he wasn't really able to do it a ton last year. Um, that's concerning. That's really, really concerning, you know. And I, I'm sure that, you know, he, I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm, I'm sure that... He could contribute somewhere, but as we have said before, it just doesn't seem like he can physically compete or contribute at Ohio State, and now you're adding another injury onto that. Yeah, and first and foremost, I w- we want him to be healthy. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, yeah, if I he's fully the, healthy the and good enough to, be, to play, I want him to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be healthy and you know, for as much as we may have ragged on him last year, I, initially, and even when he came back, I think it was the Tulane game. Both of us were like, why? And it, it wasn't a knock on him. He's obviously a super tough kid and one of the, the highest level of competitors that they have in the program. And that's, you can't take anything away from him. I, I think that even if you separate the Achilles injury from whatever this is and however minor or major it might be, you know, last year that was a failure on the staff and the adults for for putting him back out there after that major injury and then when he continued to struggle they just they kept putting him in a bad position to fail and as much as we wanted to be like man tough Borland just can't make plays like he was he was playing on one leg like you can't really fault the kid for for being out there and not making plays when you know he shouldn't be out there in the first place so I want him to be healthy first and foremost but that that's the thing with with football too just in general is that he's he's had a history and now he's out right now 
this is the time for a guy like Tarada Mitchell, who in practice, if he's getting all the reps, like, hey, man, you, you want the starting job. Baron Browning, you want the starting job. This is your opportunity. Go take it. That That's, I think, the biggest takeaway other than just wanting Borland to be healthy and, and to be able to play football is one of these other guys, there's been skepticism about this position and it's been a question mark and if you want that spot it's right there for the taking for you yeah for sure and I I do think um this is kind of you know the first thing is certainly more around coaching staff decisions especially the ones that were made last year regarding playing Borland presumably through injury at least the way he looked um and I, I would agree that it's certainly it's not Borland's fault. He can't control injuries, and he shouldn't have been out there. It, you know, it was it was unfair to put him in that spot. That was kind of the whole theme of last season, both in terms of scheme and personnel. Um, I do think my other thing on this also kind of related to coaching, and I'm I'm actually a little bit surprised to see that. Um, why the hell is Baron Browning a middle linebacker? I I don't get it. I it's like we've been talking about this for. It feels like you know two years now since he got on campus, where Ohio State has this like obsession with making him a middle linebacker, and you know I don't care what he played in high school. The guy runs a four four. He's not big enough to play middle linebacker. Put him at outside linebacker. Put him at the Darren Lee spot. You know, put him at you know whatever they're they're calling the the Brendan White position, the bullet. Put him as an edge rusher. I don't care. The guy is really really fast and doesn't seem to be particularly good at middle linebacker, I think he'd be really good at outside linebacker. He seems pretty well-suited to play outside linebacker. And it feels like a group with Baron Browning and Malik Harrison on the outside and Tarada Mitchell on the inside would be the best way to optimize the talent and skill sets on this roster. And I just don't understand why it has to be a battle between Browning and Mitchell. Why, why can't they both play? They play different styles of game. It's it's just confusing to me. Yeah, I I don't disagree, and maybe that's something that we'll see come spring game. I, I think that I hope so. Right right now, right now I, I right now I think it's all right to just be able to throw dudes out there, and just especially if Borland's out. Hey, what what can you do here? Let's see how you play with these other two dudes on the side of you. I agree that he's probably better suited to be on the outside. Let him use his athleticism. Let him play to his strengths but for right now if that's what they're doing it's just like eh you you might as well see what you have but I think that that's something to watch come spring game is how they utilize those guys and that kind of goes into and we'll talk about this more next week that there are going to be I think good reasons to watch the spring game and be invested in it because obviously it doesn't count it's not a real game you're gonna see it'd be very light i think they announced what was that today yesterday that there's gonna be a running clock yeah, today in the second half so it, just in terms of like a regular football game it's not gonna be that but i think the way that they use their personnel that is gonna give us a very big key as to what it's gonna look like going going forward and that's one of the spots to look at yeah for sure i i think that you know who knows maybe maybe he has become a very very good middle linebacker and you can use that speed fully and he is ready to go i just i haven't seen it yet i think that outside linebacker is a much much better use of his talent um speaking of the spring game as you mentioned we'll preview it quite a bit more in depth next week uh i I think that'll be kind of a 
an earlier week episode, uh, if I remember correctly. But we did get some some kind of spring game related questions on Twitter. If you want to address those uh, in this episode, uh, I, I think we could. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think we could roll through a couple of those. Um, first one here from Eddie. He says, uh, straight up, will this be a boring ass scrimmage? Also, will we get to see some young talent? Uh, he mentions Toronto Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Jalen Gill, uh, Garrett Wilson only to not see them in the fall. Um, I don't think it'll be boring. I I think that you kind of know what you're getting when you watch a spring game, when you go into a spring game. Um, You know, it's a, uh, we've, we've said this before, it's a relatively harmless, um, you know, event. It's not something to really, I don't think care too deeply about. It's a way for people to take their kids to go see an Ohio state game with, Lower stakes that you know only cost a couple bucks and generally happens on a pretty nice day. It's a you know it's a fun event to take your family to. Um, I, I don't think it'll be boring just because you know it's college football and we're very very starved for college football right now. I think just in general. Um, so it, it's certainly you know for the purposes of learning a ton about this team, there's not there's not a whole lot in you know in terms of like. There's not a lot of meat on this bone. You know, we, we can see a little bit of scheme stuff. We'll see Justin Fields make a couple flash throws. Um, we'll see some some players, I think, make some plays that will impress us. But it is a spring game. There's not a ton to take from it. But I don't think it'll be boring. It's, it's still college football. Yeah, go into the spring game like you've heated up a plate of, like, 12 bagel bites. It's delicious <laughs> for 30 minutes. You're you're gonna get a quick fix. You're gonna be hungry in like an hour, but don't don't treat it like you're eating a steak with potatoes and broccoli. Like don't treat it like it's your dinner. I think that's the proper way to watch any spring game, and particularly this one, because like you said, we'll be able to watch Fields at Ohio State for the first time. We'll be able to see what guys like Demario McCall are gonna do. Some of these younger receivers and a lot of new faces on defense and that's really why you should watch and the personnel stuff that we talked about so don't try to take too much away from it and ultimately we'll talk about more of this when we get closer to the season I I do think we'll see a lot more of an influx of younger players playing early in games uh, next season especially with that redshirt rule we didn't see a lot of it last year and I don't know how much of that was Ryan Day's decision because even though he was coaching and was the head coach for those games you know he still really wasn't calling the shots now this is his program and we'll just have to wait for the first couple of games to see what their new strategy is on playing young players and getting them to that what three game or four game rule where they can where they can play and then and then redshirt but I do think we'll see more young players step up and get to play in those situations. Andy K asks, how might the setup and how the spring game was run under Meyer change with day in charge now? I can't see it changing too much. I think that's one of those things where the spring game already was a good atmosphere for them. And just like, that's ah, not broke. Don't fix it. The running clock is a thing that Ryan day said today. But other than that, I think it'll just be status quo. Yeah, I, I think that the the running clock, like you said, probably the biggest change. Um, and again, not a huge change. Uh, I, I like the running clock just because usually the second half of a spring game does not have a ton going on, and uh, I don't think a scrimmage really needs to last three hours. But I, I think it'll probably be just about the same. Maybe we won't see 
like the before the game you've got the quarterbacks doing the the bull drill or whatever it was called but I, I you know Ryan Day is off the Urban Meyer tree and we'll probably run things pretty similar I, I don't think there will be a ton of super noticeable differences um speaking of changes between the coaching styles coaching staffs um you know just the things that the coaches say we got two questions on this from james me uh we'll start with this one he says uh well we have to hear about how we have to get that guy on the field from the head coach in charge of putting people on the field um yes <laughs> yeah i i think we will uh like like i said you know ryan day is still off the urban meyer tree and he he has shown a bit of a propensity for the coach speak stuff. Um, I don't know if it'll quite be on the same level as Urban's was. I think that Ryan Day will be more willing to make personnel changes rather than just saying that he has to get that guy on the field. Um, but I, I do think uh, there, there's still going to be coach speak. He is a coach, and that's kind of just how coaches talk. Um, hopefully a little bit less than, than it was under Urban. That certainly did get a little bit frustrating there at the end. Yeah, I don't think it'll be quite as aggressive as where Maya would just like talk up a kid like he was a star and be like, we got to get this guy on the field, and then he just wouldn't play. Yeah, <laughs> I think you'll kind of hear it tone. There won't be as much hyperbole when it comes to that stuff. It'll be, yeah, we think he can be a really good player. He probably hasn't gotten his opportunities yet. We want to try to you know work work him in the offense or defense somehow. And that that's more palatable, I think. Like it's frustrating when you have a guy you want to see on the field and he doesn't get on, but when the coach is just like, Yeah, it's just kind of it's not in the cards right now. We're gonna try our best. That's much better than just like, man, this guy's gonna be a star. We he's so good. We gotta find a way to get him on the field. And it's like, well you're the you're the coach. <laughs> you're the, you run this whole thing. Why are you not doing that? James also asked do you think we'll have another QB competition where with the backup they might start right up until the beginning of the season again, or is Ryan Day not going to massage egos in the same way as Urban? Um, I think this one is a different situation because with Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins, both those guys had been in the program, and this was something that both of them and a lot of other people anticipated. You know, even before. The season was up in 2017. They knew that they were the next two up. They knew that they were going to have a quote-unquote competition. And we, we've we already spoke our piece about that for the last year and how that really wasn't a competition. But I, I don't think that this one's going to be really similar. We've heard a lot of good things about Matt Baldwin. Justin Fields is obviously Justin Fields. But I, I think that with with Fields coming in, and kind of already assuming that and what we believe to be will be just starting in the spring game. I think that that's going to say a lot without having to say a lot, if that makes sense. And it'll just kind of be quiet. It won't be as much of a thing as it was last year. Yeah, I think that, you know, a a lot of this is um, not necessarily media criticism, but more of just um, media relation criticism of, of a coaching, you know, staff and a head coach, which is, I think, a, a fine and, and necessary part of college football. And the thing that, you know, does matter, the thing that a coach says in press conferences does matter to an extent. But again, Ryan Day is a football coach. Um, he, he kind of has been taught to to speak a certain way. And part of that is 
saying that there's a quarterback competition. Um, I'm certainly of the opinion that there is not a quarterback competition and that they're being nice to Matthew Baldwin because that's what you do. Um, and, you know, in the end it will very obviously be Justin Fields starting unless there's an injury. Um, but I, I do think that the situation's a little bit different, as you as you mentioned, um, in that, you know, Matthew Baldwin is a redshirt freshman. He's still pretty young. I, I think he knows that with the bringing in of, of Justin Fields, I think he kind of knows what that means, you know, <laughs> that it means that Ohio State's going to have a different quarterback for two years, and then it'll be his job, you know, and, and he's just... He, he came to Ohio State knowing that he probably wasn't going to play immediately. Um, I, I think that he came to Ohio State to play under Ryan Day, to be developed by Ryan Day. And I don't think he would have done that had he not been comfortable with the waiting time. Obviously, um, no no player loves to wait for a super long time. Um, he'll be, what, a redshirt junior by the time he, he would actually be starting. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's four years. That's a long career to wait before you can actually play but i i do think um i i do think he will be ready to go if they need him i i don't think this is really a competition i don't think it'll be handled in the same way that last year's was because you know it was it was a different spot Joe burrow was already pretty late in his career Dwayne haskins was as well these are two guys who you know we kind of knew that the the loser of the battle was going to transfer because they didn't have the luxury to it and and wait out the the other starter. Um, you know there was a chance that if Dwayne Haskins wasn't immediately awesome, he could have stayed for another year or two, and then Joe Burrow just would have never played. You know Joe Burrow couldn't couldn't take that risk in hoping that he would eventually get to start when Dwayne leaves. You know, and I, I think Matthew Baldwin can, and I think that because of that, because there's not really a fear of a transfer. Ryan Day will handle himself differently and he'll handle the competition differently. And I, I don't think that this is something where in late August before the game, we'll still be talking about it as a competition. I think we'll be talking about it as Justin Fields being the starter. And if Matthew Baldwin wants to ball out and push Justin Fields as hard as he can, then cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. With, I'm good with that too. Ohio state having multiple good quarterbacks and players is always good with me. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, that there really isn't any more spring football news. We'll preview the spring game next week and get more in depth on what we're looking at, who we're looking forward to seeing, and, and everything regarding that. But moving from Ohio State, and as we wrap this up, have you seen the news about Michigan and what Jim Harbaugh said the other day about Donovan People Jones and Michael Dumfor? Um, I did. I saw it a little bit. Um, the just essentially that they were injured for. In an unforeseen timetable is that is that all the whole news that we have right now yeah so it for people i did a terrible job of explaining <laughs> that but jim harbaugh on the fourth so what is today so this was yesterday at least this was reported yeah. yesterday that uh receiver donovan people jones who i'm sure most people are familiar with and then defensive lineman michael dumfor i think that's how you pronounce his last name that they have both been injured and the injuries may be more serious than have been thought. And Michigan fans are thinking like these dudes might be out for the whole season. Harbaugh said that people's Jones has a soft tissue groin injury and dumb suffered a torn plantar fascia just before the bowl game. 
What um, let's just live in hypothetical land, just like Tough Borland. First and foremost, even though they're Michigan kids, we hope these kids are healthy. I want to see both of them play. I want to see both of them have really good years, make it to the NFL, get paid a lot of money, lose to Ohio State, have great NFL careers. I think that's that's first and foremost. We want these kids to be healthy. But if these two are really out. What do you think about Michigan heading into 2019? Um, I'm still in kind of a a wait and see mode with Michigan, which is I think a kind of you know the way that you have to approach Michigan under Jim Harbaugh. Um, I like I don't think we ever really talked about it. I like the hire of Josh Gaddis a lot. I don't know if he is the ringer that they need to fix their offense, but I do think he's a good coach. Um. And I think he's a guy who will at least modernize their offense a little bit, which as someone who, you know, care about scheme and, and X's and O's, uh, that's good to me, <laughs> you know, even if it means that they're going to be better, just because I like watching good football. And I think Michigan's offense in the past four years or so has been criminally bad, just the way that they've used it. It's it's gross. It still smells like an Al Borges offense. It's just, it's bad. Um, and Josh Gaddis's offense is good. And I think if they let him run it, it will be pretty good. But um, in terms of these these losses, I mean, that's bad news for them. That's that's really, really bad news for Michigan. And like you said, um, I don't you know, I don't root for injuries. I hope that they that these guys can get back and, and be healthy. Donovan Peoples Jones is really fun to watch. I, I don't know if a ton of Ohio State fans would agree with that, but um, he is fun to watch. He's really good at football, um, and I, I like it when people are good at football. I, I did see also, um, I believe they had a, a running back injury recently. I know that Chris Evans was at least at some point kicked off the team. I'm not sure if he if he is still kicked off the team, but I did see that um, Christian Turner, who played in a couple games for them last year, suffered a hamstring injury, which I believe has left them with just one scholarship running back in True Wilson. Um, so some some pretty severe injury issues there um, at the the offensive side of the ball, and I, I do think that their their offense could be a little bit strange this year because of that, especially if those injuries take hold, but. Um, at this point, I do think Michigan probably still going to be pretty good this upcoming season. Um, maybe not top 10 good, but uh, still, you know, they're a team that Ohio State's going to have to worry about like they are every year. Yeah, especially with a road game, yeah. you know, to end the season in Ann Arbor. But I, I'm with you. I like the, the Gaddis hire. I think that that's a, a step, a very necessary step in direction for them. But just looking at them and, and everything going on with their program, and if if those guys are out, especially Donovan Peoples-Jones, man, uh, they're I, I'm skeptical that like they're any better than like a nine and three yeah. team. Like just looking at their schedule, I can see how the season goes for them. They play Middle Tennessee State in week one. Middle Tennessee State's going to score negative points in that game. Michigan will probably rush for like 600 yards. They'll, they play Army the next week. Same thing will happen. They'll shut them out. They play at Wisconsin week three. Is there any doubt in your mind that whether they win or, or lose, like we are primed for a 10 to 9 game? Like that is going to be, I think, maybe the defining game, other than, you know, your usual Ohio State Michigan game. That has the chance to be like the defining game of the Jim Harbaugh era. That if they can go in 
and beat Wisconsin week three on the road in their Big Ten opener. The offense looks good against what should be a pretty good Wisconsin defense. Then you can kind of say, okay, I I can see how this team is going to turn the corner. They're going to challenge for a Big East title, maybe make the Big Ten title, whatever. But if they lose that game, like, oh, man, because they got road games at Penn State. They play their usual game with uh, Notre Dame, Michigan State, and then Ohio State at the end of the season. And if they lose that game against Wisconsin, I think we could be in for a very like schadenfreude year with Michigan. <laughs> Not that the last couple of years haven't been, but another one. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I think that Wisconsin's another team, and we'll do a, a more full Big Ten preview once we get closer to the season and we have Bill Connolly's numbers to look at. Um but I, I do think Wisconsin's another one of those teams that's entering um, kind of a big year. You know, they 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 struggled quite a bit last season and, and kind of need to bounce back. So, like you said, that game should be really really important. I think that that game will tell us a lot about how much Michigan's offense has actually changed. Um, the the other thing, the only other thing that I do have to say on this, uh, and I don't think we talked about this when it came out because uh, we just forgot to um but i saw a couple weeks ago there was some um sports book that released that uh michigan was a 6.5 point uh favorite for the the game this upcoming season uh if you ever have ohio state plus 6.5 you should you know put all of your money on that ever like ever (laughs) against anyone because unless it's Purdue or Iowa, Ohio State doesn't lose by more than two touchdowns, and they very rarely lose by more than you know three points. Um, and a Michigan team that still has not proven they can beat Ohio State this decade, really, um, you know, having them <laughs> getting six point five points—that's that's easy money. I, I think that if I was a gambling man, that would be something I would put money down. Ohio State plus six point five—that. That feels like a very very easy bet to win. Yeah, that's a wild bet to have even for the uh, for the off season. The last thing I'll say, and then we'll get out of here. We neither of us wanted to go forty minutes, and this is like I'm just dreading editing this. Um, last thing on Michigan, maybe this is a discussion for closer when we get to the season. I think I can make a very strong case that as much as Jim Harbaugh has kind of rehabilitated their program and, and put them at least to a place where they can win eight, nine, ten games a season. I think Jim Harbaugh with these top level guys really kind of holds them back when you look at Jabril Peppers, Rashawn Gary, and now Donovan Peoples Jones, even excluding the injury stuff. Like when all these guys sign with Michigan, I just think like, man, they, they got some dudes now. And then they get to Michigan and it's like are they dudes? <laughs> are they really? Like they're good, but are they dudes? And when Jabril Peppers got drafted, it was, well, don't look at the stats, look at the traits. And Rashawn Gary is a dude, like if you followed the NFL draft at all, is like the poster child this year for like, he could be really good, but he could really be a bust. Like, does he make plays? I don't know, but he looks really good in pads. And Donovan Peoples-Jones is another one of those guys that like, you just see him on the field and you're like, oh shit, this guy looks like a prototypical receiver. And then they get out and play, and it's like, ah, he's good. And I I don't know. I think that's probably a little bit of a hot take, but I think that's something worth talking about with with Jim Harbaugh. And maybe with with that offense, it changes 
with Gaddis in a new direction, but I don't know. I'm just piling on Michigan. We don't have anything else to talk about in early April. <laughs> yeah, I think that would definitely be um, a good topic for you know later in the offseason when we know a little bit more about their roster. Um, but it, it is kind of a kind of a strange trend that you know, and obviously you can't control injuries. Um, that's just something that'll happen. And um, but I, I think maybe something to be said for the way that their defense is run something to be said for the fact that up until now they've run a completely archaic and bad offense um certainly contributes a little bit i I think that just very very different way of running a program very different schemes from what a lot of college teams are running and that has helped them in some cases it has also hurt them against teams that are really fast and can run a spread offense and uh, we have we have seen that in Columbus and in Ann Arbor for several years now, um, and I don't, I don't think at this point there's any reason to expect anything else. Also, who's the best player, Michigan? Who's the best player Jim Harbaugh's put in the NFL since he's been there? Mm, I mean, probably Jabril, right? I, it has to be. It's certainly not Taco Charlton or Jordan Lewis. I've watched that up close with the Cowboys every <laughs> week. It's not those two. It's been nobody on offense. Like, and that's not even just like, hey, we're an Ohio State podcast where. We're just shit talking Michigan. Like when you really look at it, I, I think that anybody talking about Jim Harbaugh being fired or not being in that job is just like a lunatic. Yeah. That's yeah, for, he's the, not for going what he's anywhere. done for them. He's turned them around. And I think that that's indisputable. But when you kind of get to talking of like, Hey, is this guy really a top five coach? I, I think that those are the type of things you look at and it's fair to wonder, but I don't know. Like I said, we're just throwing stuff out. It's early April, but Let's get out of here on that note. Be sure to leave us any comments, questions, concerns, whatever, if you ever want to get in touch with us on Twitter, at Holy Land Pod. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. I am at Dubsco as a site. We are at LandGrant33. Follow the show on Apple. Subscribe to the show. Search Hangout in the Holy Land. Find this episode, all the other old episodes there. We also post them up on the website they're on megaphone so check them out there as well and we will be back next week previewing actual ohio state football that we'll be able to watch on tv spring game kicks off next saturday so be on the lookout for that it'll be in your ears early next week but until then we want to thank you guys for listening for patrick mayhorn i'm colton denning this has been the hangout in holy land and go bucks